So I was gone last week. Marlena DeCarian, who's taught here a number of times, uh, taught, and she's also going to teach next week because I won't be here next week. I'm, I'm um, leaving tomorrow to go teach a retreat. And um, I was uh, thinking today about uh, what to speak about tonight. And uh, it was, a, I had an interesting day. And the interesting day started last night, my interesting day of today, which is I had um, my um, father-in-law turned 80 and had a, there was a birthday party for my father-in-law. I like my father-in-law, he's a good guy and, and uh, he's doing well. And uh, it was a family dinner for him. And so we went to the family dinner for my father-in-law. And, um, and the family dinner was at a restaurant in Hayes Valley. And it was a very busy restaurant and very, very noisy. And there were a number of us on, in this table that was very long. So you couldn't talk to the people at the other end of the table at all. And, it's not the kind of dinners that I like in general. I mean, I, mean, I like family uh, sometimes, and sometimes <laughs> I don't like family. You know, it's, it's family. It's got its pluses and minuses. And, but but I, do, I do like my father-in-law a lot. And, but it was, um, and, but I don't like noisy restaurants because I actually like to talk to people when I'm having dinner with them. And I don't like screaming to try and talk to people and so, but I'm there and, and um, so I drank a little bit, which I never do. I haven't drunk much in many, many, many years, but I, and I didn't drink much last night, but for me, it was like a glass and a half of champagne, you know, for the celebrating his birthday. And, you know, that, it helped, it helped. I had a little, <laughs> I had a little more fun for a while, but, but what happened was I came home and, and I seemed to have a lot of energy and um, it was hard to get to sleep. And then I woke up and I didn't sleep well. And then I woke up early, which I often do anyways. And so I was, and then I was very busy today getting ready to leave for retreat. And there was a lot of things, a lot of last ends to get done in my life. And so I was doing all this stuff and I was, and I'm also trying to prepare for the retreat that I'm gonna teach and give a number of talks on the retreat. And then I'm, and then I'm thinking late in the day, like, oh, what the hell am I gonna talk about tonight at SFI? And so I started thinking about, well, they could talk about this or that. And I realized that, uh, I said, well, what's been happening? And I realized, oh, I was nervous about the retreat I'm going to teach because it's a slightly different group that I'm teaching. It's, a, it's, a it's not an open retreat, it's a closed retreat for people in the diamond approach. And I've taught this retreat for them uh, once a year for the last, I don't know, um, 18 years, so it's not like I don't know it, but, but I, was, I, was, I realized oh, I was nervous about it. And I don't usually get nervous about teaching retreats, so I, I, was, I started to become aware of that. 
And then I realized I didn't know what to teach here tonight, and I hate when I don't know it. And I was like, and I realized I was nervous about coming here, which is pretty rare, because I've been doing this for 25 years or something like that. And so, so I was aware, aware there was some anxiety about teaching. And, you know, and I was thinking about why, and you know, I got curious and started investigating why was it because of the alcohol last night or not sleeping, and, but it didn't matter. The nervousness, the fear was here. The anxiety was probably the most accurate word. And I thought, well, maybe I should talk about fear given I'm feeling it. And so I thought I would talk a little bit about fear and the practice of fear because I think of it as part, an inevitable part of Dharma practice. And I don't know, do any of you ever have any fear or anxiety or get scared or anxious, anything like that? Pardon? When you don't sleep well, thank you for supporting me. Um, and so, yeah, it's really, it's in, so it becomes a part of the human experience that's important to be aware of. And to be, remember, mindfulness is not the only Buddhist practice that's important. There are two really key practices in the meditation, which is mindfulness and investigation. We're curious, we're interested, we want to understand our experience and what leads to suffering and what leads to freedom. And so I thought it'd be interesting for us to talk about fear and for you to all consider, oh yeah, how, when do you get afraid? Or what makes you afraid? Or what stimulates your anxiety or your your uncomfortableness with things that feels not um, secure, where you end up feeling less secure. And of course, partly I'm, I thought it would be appropriate to bring this up because of the current uh, political situation that I've talked about for many weeks now and uh, I'm a little tired of talking about, but it's gonna be part of the deal for quite a while. And there's a lot of um, uh, anxiety or fear or um, trepidation associated with the political situation, as well as with the environmental situation that we find ourselves in at this point with climate. We, we ourselves here in California have watched the weather changed drastically, right? Like we had a drought for four years and now we're flooding everywhere and it's not, you know, and it keeps coming and we're happy, we're all real happy, right? It's raining and yet it's not, it's raining a lot and we're having problems like with the dams and, and in the, in the uh, reservoirs and lakes. And of course then there's depending politically on your situation, there are different ways that the political situation will impact you. If, depending what minority you might be part of, in terms of if you're an immigrant or if you're a, a person of color or if you're a refugee, um, or if there's something about you that makes the government nervous, that can create a lot of uncomfortableness, anxiety. 
<laughs> and of course, just normally, we experience fear or anxiety or trepidation or some kind of uh, dread or apprehension or disquiet or foreboding, depending on our own psychology. Like that's a common, normal part of human psychology is that there's anxiety and that the anxiety can come in relationship or in uh, because of money and economics or it can happen in friendships can bring certain kind of anxiety or fear and any kind of intimacy can bring anxiety with it um, <clears throat> and so as i said i was aware of it for myself you know as i saw as i was thinking about teaching here tonight and going to teach retreat tomorrow and and uh, and it's and i'm watching a totally psychological kind of anxiety about especially the retreat it's like oh, i don't know what i'm going to do and um and of course it's just not actually true at all but there's something about the ego itself which is an insecure entity the ego itself is not a secure thing. It's, it's a construct for each of us. And it's an important construct and we need to have an ego identity. And it can help us, you know, get up in the morning and set the alarm and do what we need to do. But it's not the essence of who and what we are. It's not all of who and what we are. And it's also a construct that's been created, at least psycho psychologically, since we were children. Because we all had this time, which I don't know if you remember, where they were pointing at you and they were saying something. And later you realized, oh, that's your name. But it wasn't your name originally. You didn't have a name originally. Who and what we are wasn't the name. And yet, you know, they used to point at me and say, oh, Eugene, Eugene's doing this, or Eugene, I'm not, I'm thinking, well, who's Eugene, where's Eugene? I'm just a baby, you know, in, in the crib, or, you know, on the floor, or whatever. And so the whole idea of that kind of ego structure and identity is a construct, and it's a normal, important construct, but it's not the end of the story. And because it's a construct, it's essentially insecure. It's not innate. It's not what the Buddha pointed at, which ends suffering and ends fear. <clears throat> and this is from not a Buddhist teacher, but a, a a Vedic teacher of the last century, Krishnamurti, and he was talking about um, fear. He said, he said, you don't just want to uh, try to free yourself from fear or, or resist fear. It's what's needed rather than running away or controlling or suppressing or anything else like that is to understand fear. That means to watch it to learn about it, come directly into contact with it. We, we're, we are to learn about fear, not how to escape from it, not how to resist it, 
through courage and so on, but how to be directly aware of what we call fear, which is just an emotion, right? It's a emotion, a mood, a state of heart and mind that is natural for human beings, actually natural for all animals, right? Although we don't usually think that insects maybe are having fear as an emotion, but if they're threatened, they run, right? And that's what I'm calling also fear. And it's very normal to have that kind of animalistic response to the survival instinct because we are also animals and as animals we have this natural instinct to survive. But as Krishna Murti was pointing us at, he was saying, oh, in my terms, he was saying, oh, be mindful of fear, be aware of fear, and see what happens as you investigate fear itself. Not just, you're not just trying to fix the fear, you're not trying to make everything perfect so that you never have anything that stimulates your fear again because uh, at least I'm pretty sure I can guarantee you that won't happen, that things will happen that will bring fear or anxiety or consternation or dread or apprehension. That's just part of being alive. And it's, it's a very... Um, It's bad. It's, I want to say it in this way that I don't like, but I'll say it. It's a very alive way of being alive, right? You, when you're really afraid, you know it. And it's got a lot of physical and somatic and kinesthetic and energetic components to it that we feel, right? So I looked up some words that happen when we're scared. We cower or we shrink, or we cringe, or we quake, or we shake, or tremble. I mean, those are very alive experiences when we're really afraid. And it's a little bit a personal part of practice to start to get more intimate with fear to start to be aware of it, to start not just to be bound to it, not just to be identified with it, not just to be mesmerized by it, but actually to start to bring some of the spaciousness of awareness so that you can be aware of fear itself. And a few things, I'll tell you some some Eugene stories about fear. I remember one time I was teaching in Montana and we went out for a walk and I'd never been to Montana and they'd asked me to come and so I, I was happy to come. And we went and it was out in the mountains somewhere and of course I'm a city guy, I'm not a big mountain guy, although I like nature, you know, like flowers and stuff like that. And, but, uh, but I was in Montana and we went out for a walk and there was a big pile of shit in the middle of the 
lane, and I was like, whoa, what is that? That's weird. <laughs> I mean, I kind of knew it was shit, but I could, and they said, oh, that's bear shit. And I'm like, bears? You have bears? Yeah, oh yeah, we have bears, maybe we'll see one. And I'm like, I don't want to see a bear. I mean, I'm happy on TV to watch bears, but not in person, because I was afraid, I didn't, you know, I grew up in Detroit. We didn't have bears. That was not, not the thing there. And so part of what's helpful in working with any strong emotion, including fear, is taking it seriously and also not taking it seriously, but being able to play with it or laugh at it at times. And it really took me a long time to accept my own fears in general. And, uh, and I had different life experiences that helped me learn how to accept my fear. When I was a, a very young man and I'd moved to New York and was living in the Lower East Side and I was into radical political street theater and I was having a really good time living in New York as a, I was still a teenager. And, um, but um, I got mugged, right? Because I'm from Detroit, and believe me, compared to New York, Detroit was totally cool. At least that's how I felt. But New York was a whole new thing. So I got mugged actually a couple times in New York. And uh, sometimes the people who mugged me were very nice, actually. Like I remember there were some guys who, uh, I, I led into my building, because I didn't know, oh, you don't let people into your building. That's not something you do in New York. Um, and so, because they said, oh, they needed to go up and see somebody. And really, they grabbed me and they wanted my money. And I, I gave them, and I had like $3 or something. And they were, and they were really kind. They said, oh, oh, you don't have any money. You should keep this. We'll go somewhere else. This is a true story. So I was like, okay, that, that wasn't so bad. But then one time I was walking with my girlfriend at the time, uh, somewhere, not in the Lower East Side, in Soho, before it was Soho, if you know New York. And, uh, and these three guys um, came after me because I was a hippie, right? And, uh, and they, they, they really they threw me down and wanted to beat me up. And uh, I remember my girlfriend was just screaming at the top of her lungs. And, and something happened and then they ran away. But that scared me. That was a whole different kind of fear. Like somebody attacking me basically for no reason except that I was different from them. And, uh, and I remember I, I, uh, I used to play bamboo flutes, these thick bamboo flutes that I used to make. And so I, after that, I always carried a bamboo flute with me because it didn't look like a weapon, but you could use it if you had to. And of course, this, I didn't use it, but it was, it was interesting to watch how fear conditions the heart and mind, right? Because then I was going to, you know, hit somebody if they started to fuck with me, basically. And it was interesting to be on retreat. On the, I was on the woman's retreat here uh, a 
about a month ago, I guess it was, something like that. And it reminded me of all the retreats that I'd been on in New York that were against the war and very leftist kind of retreats where there'd been a lot of demonstrations and a lot of breaking of windows and running and being scared because you didn't know what would happen once things got a little bit wild. And then I've had some other experiences in my life that were brought fear because I had, uh, I had a good friend who was a big drug smuggler and, uh, and uh, really, really good guy, friend. And, um, and I never even thought about it back then because drugs were just part of life is what I thought. But, but some bad things happened around that. And it was interesting to watch the kind of fear or not fear that could come. And really the only, the simplest thing I can tell you is um, it, it brought some fear when the DEA showed up at my house here in San Francisco because I was friends with this guy on the East Coast because they had caught him and, uh, and, he was, and they still couldn't figure out who he was because he had too many passports for them to figure out who he was, like which passport was his. And so that brought some fear when the DEA showed up at my house. I, I'm not interested in jails, never been a big desire of mine. So anyhow, I'm just giving some different ways fear can come, both, you know, for, for whatever reason, you know, whether it's bears or people who you're different from on, in New York or from being around people who are doing things that aren't quite legal. Or also, uh, you know, I had fear. I swam in the bay for many years, and which is a great thing to do. I highly recommend it if you like cold water. And, um, but still, it would be very interesting to watch. Uh, and I swam like four or five times a week for I don't know how many years. And, uh, and, but it was always interesting to watch when I would get afraid in the water because you know you're swimming and it's fine it's all great except if you think there's a shark around and then you, you get nervous like really quickly it's even though almost nobody has ever gotten attacked by a shark in the bay because sharks don't tend to swim in brackish water that's both fresh water and salt water but um, I remember this once meeting this sea lion and they're big, right? And I'm not a big guy anyways, but they're really big. And I'm swimming, and this sea lion popped up. It's wild, I haven't remembered this in a while. He popped up, and he was, he was close, he was as close as the mic is to me, and he started barking at me, you know. And I'm like, I'm like, really, I'm going, oh shit, you know, because he's big, and, and, um, and I don't know what to do, right? And so I just stop, and he's barking. And then he goes like this. He barks. He goes, goes under the water. And I'm like, shit, I gotta get out of here. But it's his turf. He's much quicker. But still, I started swimming for the shore very quickly. And he didn't attack me, but it, was, it scared me, you know? 
the sea lion. And actually, oh, I remember what happened. That's why I tell the story. I realized at a certain point he was barking because he was afraid, right? It's not what I would think because I was already afraid. And then I realized, oh, he was afraid and he was protecting himself by barking at me. And so that's also really important to see that aggression often comes out of fear. And I think that's true for all animals, including humans, that there's aggression comes out of fear. Pardon? Yeah, including our president. I don't think he's aware that he's afraid. I don't think he's aware of his dukkha. And if you're new to practice, dukkha is the Pali word for suffering. I don't think he's aware of his suffering. And it's why the last time I talked about politics, I talked about love and the importance of love. Because love means you can see the suffering of the people who are even attacking you. And it doesn't mean, and when I say love, I don't mean like. It doesn't mean you like the people. It means the love, the heart, is big enough to see the suffering that's causing them to attack or act irrationally or be biased or prejudiced or whatever it might be in those um, unconscious and um, suffering-filled ways. <clears throat> and so part of what is paradoxical about Buddhist practice is that we can metabolize fear, that fear can lead to fearlessness. And it's counterintuitive, right? We all think fear, fix it or get rid of it. That's what we want. We don't think go through it. We don't think get closer to it. We don't think open up to the fear because it's just not the way we work biologically. Biologically, we run when we're afraid. That's what animals do. But it's a very uh, a common paradox that the Dharma points us against the stream. And uh, even in the progress of insight, very formal understanding of enlightenment, there's a whole section on terror. And terror is part of what one goes through, generally, not everybody, but most people, at the deepest stages of meditation and enlightenment. <clears throat> and so the Buddha said, he said, not apart from awakening and austerity, not apart from sense restraint, not apart from relinquishing all, do I see safety for living beings. I'll say this again. Not apart from awakening and austerity, not apart from sense restraint, not apart from relinquish, relinquishing all, letting go of everything, do I see safety for human beings. And so discovering fearlessness is a paradox. It goes against what we think will bring us safety or bring us the end of fear. 
and this is known in the Buddhist tradition and in other traditions also. I mean, Kabir said, when you experience your fear, you will become fearless. When you experience your fear, you will become fearless. All other fears merge with that fear. If you fear the fear, if you fear the fear, then you will become fearful. If you fear the fear, you will become fearful. Be fearless and all your fears will flee. And one, uh, I think a beautiful example of this in human form is somebody, a woman named Malala uh, Yosafzi, who was a young Pakistani woman who stood up for female education in Pakistan, and she ended up being attacked by it for it, right? And she, and she said, and she said this after the attack, she said, attack meaning she was shot in the head, actually, by the Taliban because she was going against the cultural norm of the time and place she was living in right then. And she said, I don't mind if I have to sit on the floor at school. All I want is an education and I am afraid of no one. Right? She knew what she wanted, she knew what was true, and she said, and I am afraid of no one. And she ended up winning the Nobel Prize for what she did. And I'll end this talk by giving you a little more Buddhism. So there's a word, we don't use it so much in the Vipassana tradition, but it's also in the Vipassana tradition, Bodhisattva. Bodhisattva means a spiritual warrior, a spiritual being, and was extended, it was talked about, about monks or nuns or household or men or women and uh, who devoted themselves to achieving enlightenment for others as well for others as well as themselves and they're called bodhisattvas that one's practice is not just for oneself but for oneself and for all beings and so and then there's another term that's used called mahasattva which means fearless mahasattva and maha means great so it means uh, it's interpreted quite literally as great being However, the term was first not applied to humans, but to lions, right, to lions. And it was only later it was applied to those who had the courage of the king of beasts, of lions. And it was used to suggest the difficulties facing those who set forth on the bodhisattva path as well as to praise them for having such, such aspiration to awaken for all beings. This is from a Buddhist uh, Zen teacher, Red Pine says that. And then the last thing I'll read you is from Joko Beck, Charlotte Joko Beck. And Joko Beck was a, a great Zen teacher. Um, and she said, um, 
intelligent practice. Intelligent practice always deals with just one thing, the fear at the base of human existence. So now she's pointing to the whole deeper level of fear. It's not just emotional fear or this situation or that, but she says the fear that's at the base of human existence, the fear that I am not. The fear that I am not. And she's pointing now at what's called the not-self teaching in Buddhism, right? And just to give context, if you don't know this, in Buddhism, they, it's seen that people have a self and they also have something that's not the self. It's often referred to as, it's anatta is the Pali word, or it's called selflessness at times. But not self is a more accurate way to point at it, because we all know we have a sense of self, and then things come out of us that we didn't even do or know we would do, and it's pointing at the not self component when we recognize that. And so she says, the fear at the base of human existence, the fear that I am not. And of course, I am not. That's part of human existence, is the anatta or the selflessness component of human experience. And, of and so she says, of course, I am not. But the last thing I want to know is that I am not. She says, I am in permanence itself. I am impermanence, and so you could point to yourself and you could say, I, what's sitting here, is impermanence itself in a rapidly changing human form that appears solid. That this is impermanence itself in this human form that appears solid. And I fear to see what I am. I fear to see that I am an ever-changing energy field. I don't want to be that. So good practice is about fear. Fear takes the form of constantly thinking, speculating, analyzing, fantasizing. With all that activity, we create a cloud cover to keep ourselves safe in a make-believe practice. True practice is not safe. True, true practice is not safe. It's anything but safe. But we don't like that, so we obsess with our feverish efforts to achieve our version of a personal dream. Such practice is itself just another cloud between ourselves and reality. The thing that matters is seeing things as they are. And I, this is my language, seeing reality as it is, not our ideas about it, not our beliefs about it. She says, the thing that matters is seeing things as they are. When the personal barrier drops away, why do we have to call it anything? When the personal barrier drops away, why do we have to call it anything? We just live our lives. And when we die, we just die. No problem anywhere. So please check out Charlotte Joko Beck if you're interested, or she challenges you, even a better reason to check her out. She's a good, good teacher. So I'm going to stop here. Um, I always like to hear your thoughts or feelings or reactions or liking or not liking, believing, not believing the whatever I've said or agreeing with or not agreeing with. 
Any questions, comments, please? Yeah, yeah, come up, come up to the mic, please. Turn the mic around to yourself. Um, uh, pick the mic up so you, no, it's right at your mouth and we can hear you again. Thank you. You know, I've heard, um, I was thinking I heard this in the nonviolent communication world, the nonviolent communication, but that all fear, maybe not the deep one that you were just talking about, um, but comes from our thoughts, from our beliefs, from maybe our expectations that it's actually our internal thinking that causes the fear. It's not the bear shit that we saw or something on the outside that you thought about. It. And I was just wondering from a Buddhist perspective, is that the same? Is that how we look at it? It's, you know, it's one of the ways fear can come, but Buddhism doesn't just say there's one way. There's also just the instinctualness of the animal nature. And that's because animals aren't thinking, and they run. Yeah. So the raccoon brain, for instance, you know, yeah. just, just reacts. Right. Um, so, and we have some re reptilian brain, as far as I know. I mean, I'm, yeah. So it's a little bit of that. But, but look, look for yourself. Where do you see it? That's what Buddhism keeps asking. What do you see? When, when does it happen? Why does it happen? How does it happen? Is it just like that? Or is there thought first? Yeah, it seems like when I slow down, it's almost always a thought. Uh -huh. I got an experience where I was in, I was in Cuba. Uh -huh. and, I, and I have a photo of me diving into a pool of water that's from a small waterfall. And I actually did it twice into this. And I dove. Everybody else was like jumping. But then I looked at the photo and I felt fear. Uh -huh. and, 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 you know, and it was just thinking about the fact that, you know, there could have been a rock or something there that I could have hit. Uh -huh. Even though I did it completely yeah. safely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. My fear, or my thought actually. Right. right. Uh huh. Yeah. That's how fear happens sometimes. We make, we make things up. Yeah. And, and that's what causes, at least for me, most of the time, it's my own thoughts. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, so that's a really, really, really good reason to be aware of thought instead of just believing thought. Because yeah. it's not thinking at all. Well, <laughs> yeah, but how many people here cannot think, right? That's a rare time. And that can happen in practice, and I've had that. But that's not what happens day to day. It just thinks itself. You can even decide, I'm never going to think of fear thought again, and I bet it'll happen. Meaning, I bet you'll have fear thoughts. Because you're not in control of your brain. No, I don't know about brain, mind. Let me use that word. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, we're all afraid of that about you. <laughs> and about all of us. <laughs> Thank you. Meaning, it's one of the reasons why the whole glorification of mind is not so helpful at times, of the intellect. Maybe, let me say it that way. The glorification of the intellect. 
because you see how people, human beings over time and place, different places and culture, think totally different things about the same circumstance. And, that, and it changes, and sometimes it's bad, sometimes it's good. That's a very normal thing. That usually, anybody here have perfect parents, right? Like n n nobody does, basically. And parents are all just people like us who are learning how to be parents, who have kids, and then you learn how to be parents. And so there's, it's very common that there can be a conflation between love and doing the wrong thing, scaring a kid sometimes. And that happens, and it's why we want to keep practicing as we grow up, so that we're not bound to the past. And we want to see that our, reac our reactions may not just be based on what's happening right now, but at times is based on our history and our conditioning. And we want to see that actually what's possible is to discover what's not conditioned that's also right here. And that provides for freedom, even though we're not trying to change the past, and we can, but we don't have to be bound to it. Anybody else about fear? Anybody else questions or comments or thoughts? Please. And anybody else who's never talked, people who've talked before are more comfortable speaking again, which is good, but if you start, if you do it one time, you'll be more comfortable for the second time. So, as a child, I didn't know if I was going to survive. And even before I learned to speak, I was like in hypervigilance and in fear. Mm -hmm. And it was part of how my ego was created, it was part of how my worldview was created. Fear has always been a part of me. Mm -hmm. And 
for a lot of years, I thought that if through meditation I could learn to shut down this sort of skew of negative thoughts and fearful thoughts, that that would fix the problem. I wouldn't feel so horrible all the time. But I've gotten pretty good at that. It didn't fix it. It's like in my body. There's a lot of good ways to support that. And I'll, give, I'll add one more that I haven't mentioned, which is um, uh, loving-kindness practice is a great uh, support for working with uh, difficult emotions. And because it really, uh, it really cultivates the open heart that is beyond the conditions that create the contraction or the holding or the fear or the anger or whatever it might, yeah. right, That's condition. Excellent. Yeah, great. Thank you. Sure, thank you. Please. And yeah, pull it down. Yeah, great. Investigative practice, right there. Great. I'm gonna yeah. keep going. Yeah. So the answer I had was that I wasn't gonna feel safe. Mm -hmm. So I said, "What's wrong with not feeling safe?" Mm -hmm. And then the answer was, "I'm gonna get hurt." Mm -hmm. And then I was able to kind of realign with like this idea that hurt isn't a part of life because it is. And then I was feeling like, okay. If hurt is a part of life and I can get through that, then I can be present when the hurt is there and it's coming and I can kind of let it go through me. Okay. And then I just realized that's basically the whole premise of pain and suffering that the Buddha is in not. You, you, I miss that. The whole premise of both pain and suffering and getting 
Right. Like pain is a reality. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But the suffering is an add-on. Yeah. 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 Great. No, that's lovely. Uh, I appreciate that because you, you really tied together the reality of the fear coming from thoughts, rational or not, doesn't matter, and then, then um, what would be skillful taking a walk with your fear and speaking to it, which is of course something that's. Uh, not rational, but really good to do, because you're you're giving it its own voice, and you're having your voice in the relationship then, in a more proactive way. Well, I tried the rational part first, and it didn't work. So. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, but that's that's, uh, that's always good to learn as human beings that rationality isn't the end of the story. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, I think we're stopping there tonight. And, uh, and we'll just sit for a minute and do a little sharing of merit. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.